And as you're turning there, I'll explain, I'll explain it here in a second, but um, uh, there's three brothers in my family, and uh, I'm the youngest uh, of the three, and uh, back in 96, so I think I was around 25, uh, 26, something like that, 25, um, somewhere in 96, 97, my middle brother, oh yeah, we got uh, kids released for kids, uh, kids' own church, um, I love that title slide. That works great. I was like, man, is it that bad? Like, everybody's leaving. I was like, wow, I haven't even started. Just wait. It's going to get... So anyway, uh, when we were back in 96, something like that, 97, my middle brother uh, got involved with a small house church. And uh, as this progressed, it was, um, it became very apparent to, to me and to some of us around very quickly, the family especially, that uh, this was not a healthy church. And what was difficult was the, the teaching, the doctrine was really sound. And so it was real squishy, oily, like how do you get your hands around this thing? Because I, I know I'm hearing sound doctrine, but the practice and the advice of the pastor that was leading this church was really toxic. And it was really hard to figure those two things out. And what he would teach is, hey, if you want to follow Christ, you have to hate your father and mother. And what we didn't know at the time and found out later was it comes all from his childhood and the wounds and the abandonment, all kinds of things that the pastor went through. So literally anybody who started to join his church had to cut off all ties from their family and all ties from their friends. He led everybody to do that. And so that was, that was a rejection of us, and we started to see this happen. We're like, what? What is going on? I mean, we want Christ. We're not trying to keep you from Christ. And and it was just awful. It was painful. So as a brother, I'm trying to fight for my brother. And a man in youth and in arrogance, I'm coming at it all the wrong ways. I just didn't know. This had never happened before. And um, so in the middle of it, I'm getting hurt. Family's getting hurt. But I'm not handling it well. And uh, said things and did things, trying to just rescue and ended up making it worse. And over the course of uh, a few years, we lost my brother. And this went on for years, and uh, he and I were so close. Um, it was very, very painful. Um, he wouldn't come to Christmas anymore. He wouldn't come for Thanksgiving, not birthdays. We wouldn't talk, and it'd be very difficult if we did. It would always end up just being conflict all the time. And at some point, as the years stretched on, I just kind of gave up hope. And I was praying in the beginning, but after a while, it just, I don't know, just nothing would break through. And, and it really came to the point where I was just like, well, if, if we're going to get reconciled, it's probably going to be in heaven. Because I know he loves the Lord. He does. And, and I could tell he was growing in his understanding of the word of God. But I just thought, this is never going to happen. And I just gave up. And it wasn't like overnight. It was like year 12, right? Year 13, year 14, where it's just like, this isn't going to happen. And it wasn't out of bitterness. It was just not going to happen. You ever give up on something? You ever just finally quit? 
where you just go, I can't. I just, it's not going to happen. All the, all the stuff just gets stacked up against hope day after day, month after month, year after year, right? Decade after decade. Can you fix that low end frequency there, Andy? Is that all right? Um, and it just starts to stack up against hope. And pretty soon, hope is crushed. Paul writes in Romans chapter 4 about Abraham. And, and he says, Abraham, against all hope, in hope, believed. And so became the father of many nations. Just as it was said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. What Paul does in Romans chapter 4 is he starts talking about Abraham. He starts telling the story of Abraham. And he assumes everyone reading the letter knows about Abraham because everybody knew about Abraham. The people he, were writing, he was writing were mostly people coming out of a Jewish background, and so they knew as soon as he said Abraham, they understood all the stories because they'd been told all the stories. The problem is if, if you don't know Abraham, you don't know what he's talking about here. And, and I know in a room like this, uh, there's people here, that, and there's some of us here that are going, well, I really don't know the story of Abraham. Who is Abraham? And maybe some of us, you know, we've heard the story long ago, but we haven't looked back in Genesis to read that story again. So in order to understand Romans 4, you actually have to understand the story of Abraham. So today we're actually going to look and spend time just talking about this story that Paul re refers to in, in Romans chapter 4. So I invite you to turn to, uh, to Genesis chapter 12. And we're going to be looking over, the, over about, I think, about eight chapters here. And we're going to be jumping in and looking at this particular story that Paul pulls out of Genesis. <clears throat> so Abraham's story starts with him. Actually, his name is Abram. God changes his name in a, in a later chapter. And we just heard about Abram in this genealogy thing that happened in chapter 11. But this is the real first encounter we've had with Abram. And, and in Genesis chapter 12, it says, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I'll show you. I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Effectively, God comes to Abraham, and, and Abraham wins what, what we would call is the, 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 the greatest lottery in the world. He comes to Abraham and says, I choose you I'm going to give you a nation, and I'm going to bless this entire world, the universe, through your family line. It's an amazing promise. It, it's spectacular. As, as it starts to unfold, you realize actually Jesus comes from his family line. It's just an unbelievable thing. And this is the first time we get to, to read about Abraham. And understand, he's 75 years old here. It says that in verse 4. He's 75 years old, and we find out later that Sarah is actually 10 years younger than him, so she's 65, and they don't have kids. They've been married, what it seems like, or what we understand to be, quite a while, and they've never been able to have children. 
My wife and I, early on, we, didn't, we, we couldn't conceive. We couldn't have a child. And, and that started the whole process of pain that we had never, ever encountered. We met a whole world of couples who struggled with infertility. And they, they came and said, you have a 5% chance of conceiving, which is if somebody came to you and said, you have a 95% chance of dying, what would you think? I'm going to die, right? So effectively, they're saying, you won't ever have a child. And we were just like, wow, that's it. And we met other couples who had been down this road way longer than us. And, and it's, it's so hard when you're hoping month after month after month to have a child to conceive and you just get bad news month after at a certain point your heart can't take it anymore and uh, you, you just you can't keep doing that and you you start the, the hope that everything that starts to get stacked against hope and you start to guard yourself against hope because it's just too painful they grew up in a culture where it's just like our culture, so it's like any culture in the world where when you, when you want a child and you don't have a child, the, the culture around is, is, you know, there's this stigma or there's, oh, I feel sorry, there's this pity, there's always this awkwardness, and, and that's what they grew up. They're, she's 65 years old. He's 75. That has not been an easy journey at all. And God comes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to make you the father of, uh, of this nation and it's going, to be, it's going to be this massive nation. It's going to bless other nations. I'm going to give you a son. And, and there's a part of me that's just like, I wonder if Abraham said, um, don't, don't make that promise unless you're going to do that, Lord. Because that's too painful to hope. But I don't know if Abraham really did that because the next verse says, Abraham picked up stakes and moved. He believed. He moved his entire family, which is Sarah and himself, but all the possessions, all the people who, who live with them, whether they're servants or whatever, and they literally moved to the land, the promised land, Canaan, where God said, I'm going I'm to make this nation over here. I want you to move here. So Abraham hears this. He encounters God, and he goes, I'm in, and he moves. So he moves over there, and chapter 13, the rest of chapter 12, 13, and 14, we get stories about Abraham, and, and you see this man who has incredible faith, and, and yet he's also a man who's broken, who's uh, fearful, who, who makes really bad decisions, throws his wife under the bus. I mean, it's just like, who is this guy? He's just a person like you and me. And yet he has this immense faith. And I don't know how all these things work in our lives, but he does. He has this immense faith. And so we get to chapter 15, and God comes to Abraham, and he, he says this to him. And Abraham had just been in a battle, which was huge, and that was difficult. And not only that, then he got loot from the battle, but he gave all the loot away. And, and he, just to these people, they say, hey, look, I don't want any of you all somehow thinking that you were part of my success and my blessing. I'm not going to give you that 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 voice, that possibility. 
I want everybody to know that any blessing I get is from the Lord. So the Lord comes to Abraham, chapter 15. After this, what I just explained, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield, which I love that. He'd just gotten done with the fight. And God says, I'm your shield. And then what does he say? Your very great reward. He just turned down a huge reward because he said, I only want God to reward me. And God comes and says, I'm your shield. I'm your reward. And Abram says, oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? Oh, it's on his mind. It's on his heart. If you've always wanted the child and never can have a child, that's always on your heart. He says, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer from Damascus or of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to, came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him, being Abram, outside and said, look at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. This is a number of years after the original promise. We're not sure how many. It's not 10. It's less than 10, but there's a number of years here. They, they clearly don't have children. It's clearly on his heart. Time's beginning to stack up. He's getting older. There's no movement on this. And, and it's really not... It, this wasn't Abraham's and Sarah's idea, right? This is God's idea. God's the one that brought it up. God's the one inspiring into hope. And, and it's obviously on Abraham's mind, and it's for sure on Sarah's mind. And it's really beginning to hurt. It's really beginning to be difficult. You said this, but nothing's happening. You know, the longer we live in life, the greater chances are we're going to run into something that is going to stack up against hope in our lives. And, it's, and I'm not talking about just like, oh, I want that shiny toy. I'm talking about things that are personal, things that are good that we want, things that are of the kingdom of God that we would want. So deep, it's just, it's deep down inside, and, and for reasons only God knows, we, we never see that hope realized day after day, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, and, and it hurts, and, and it just is so hard. No, no change, no relief. And, and you hear people say, you know, it's against hope. People start to say it's always going to be this way. And, and you hear doctors who say against hope, there's no chance for healing. And, or, or you hear some professional, I don't know who it is, come and, and give a label and say against hope, you're going to be this way. This is just you. Or, or, or whatever it is, conflict, I, I don't know, it, it comes against hope. And it seems so real and it feels so solid and so sure. And, and we get to the point where we guard our hearts against hope. We protect ourselves from hoping because it's too painful. 
or we start to do the end run. We know what God wants, and, and, and we start to help God out. And in Genesis 16, you see this happen. Sarah wants this bad. She wants this just as bad as Abraham. So she comes up with an idea because she's getting old, right? He's getting old. He's 86. She's now 76. It's about 11 years later. And she says, hey, look, let, I know, but let's, I'll give you my handmaiden. We'll get a son that way. And they start to do this thing around God. And you look at that and you go, oh, no, Sarah, what are you thinking? And, and before you throw Sarah under the bus, Abraham also agreed to it. So Sarah, in a moment of weakness, pulls this idea out of the hat. Abraham, in a moment of weakness, rather than a moment of strength, saying, no, that's not the way God would do this. He's also weak. It, it's not just Sarah it's both of them. They're both trying to get to this promise and doing it their own way. And it just, it leads to a disaster. It's awful. It brings all kinds of pain. And that's in Genesis 16. And you, you can read about that. Don't read it now. Read it later. Um, but how many times does that happen when we're starting to lose hope? We start to take matters into our own hands. We try to help out God. And we go outside of his plans for all the right reasons, but it's still us, and it, and it blows up in our face. And I just, we just want what you want, God, but Psalms 13, I think some of you have heard of that verse. It says, hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. And that's what happens. Hope gets deferred. Your heart grows sick, and you want it to stop. You want to fix it, and I want to fix it. Fast forward another 13 years, Genesis chapter 17. Abraham's now 99. Sarah's 89. And God comes to Abraham, and this is what he says. He's still named Abram, but here's where his name gets changed. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham which literally means the father of many. He's changing his name even though he doesn't even have a son. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you, and I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. And then he goes on to say, as for you, you must keep my covenant. He gives them the sign of circumcision. God also said in verse 15, fast forward to that, he said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. You're supposed to call her now Sarah. He changes her name. 
I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. I guess he had gotten up and now he's back down again. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Sarah is going to bear a child at the age of 90? Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live, which is the son they had with the maidservant. And God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. Abraham believed God. And he went on to circumcise himself and the entire house that day. He comes to Abraham and he says, this is 25 years later from Genesis 12. 13 years from the last time he's heard from God, apparently according to scripture. Now, maybe he has, but it wasn't recorded. 13 years. Nothing's happened. And Abraham, I, I, he's face down in reverence to God, and he's laughing. Are you kidding me? 99? My wife's 89. We're going to have a kid? You're funny. He's worshiping God and laughing. But he doesn't... But get get this. Go forward, actually, to chapter 18. In the chapter 18, the Lord... So this is one of these, they they call it pre-incarnate. So it's before Jesus actually came to the earth for the cross. Jesus was on the earth because this is the Lord. So he comes disguised, him and two other people. We're not sure who the other two people are. They walk into Abraham's life right there to where his tent is. And and Abraham treats them as royalty. And somewhere in here, I don't know how this happens, but Abraham figures out it's the Lord. I, I I don't know if he understands fully it's the Lord, but he knows it's the Lord. I don't know how that all works, but it works. Um, So they're talking, and they're in the tent, they're having a meal, and and the Lord said to him in verse 10, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. So now he's finally given a timeline. 25 years of waiting, and he finally gives them, it's going to come in the next year. You're going to have a son. Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, kind of like, what's going on in there? Get this, Abraham and Sarah were already old, well advanced in years. Sarah was past the age of childbearing, so Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my master is old, now I'm going to have this pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I'm going to return at the appointed time next year, and Sarah is going to have a son. Sarah, Sarah was busted. So she lied. I didn't laugh. You never say that to God. It just never works out. And God just says, yes, you did laugh. And it's interesting. Abraham laughs. He doesn't get busted because he's on his face before the Lord in worship. Sarah laughs and she gets busted because she's doubting. I don't, isn't that interesting? I don't know, I guess we can laugh at something and have two different reasons we're laughing. We'll talk about that later. The Lord asked 
Abraham and Sarah. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? It's a rhetorical question. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything? You think about your life. You think about what is against hope all these years. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? No. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. As you think about what you have been walking through, and I don't know how short or long, do you hear that? Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Can you say that over what you're going through right now in faith? And maybe laughing like Abraham. Nothing's too hard for the Lord. Nothing. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. When you flip over to Genesis 21, it says this. We skip a couple more stories about Abraham. Genesis 21. Verse 1, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah. I love that. I love that opening line. Here is Sarah who doesn't have perfect faith, and God comes, and the opening word is, oh, you don't have to have perfect faith. I love you. I love that. And if some of you feel like you haven't been perfect and you haven't worked through this, you need to hear that. The Lord was gracious. Sarah. And as he had said, the Lord did for Sarah what he'd promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. And at that very time, God promised him, God gave him the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. And when Isaac, his son, was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born. And Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, and yet I have borne him a son in his old age? You know what Isaac's name was? What it means? Laughter. I love that. And I think Sarah was laughing as she said this. In belief. Isaac's name. Can you imagine? Laughter Brooks. Right? Isn't that... And what's the question that everybody's going to ask Isaac Laughter the rest of his life? Why would they name you Laughter? Well, I got a, a story for you. Right? Could you imagine naming your kid Laughter? No one would ever forget. My goodness, it's all me. Sorry, bro. Right there. No one would ever forget. It'd always be in front every time you met Laughter. 
Isn't that cool? I love that. Laughter. Why, why would they name you laughter? Because nothing is too difficult for the Lord. That's why. That's why we named him laughter. I'm going to try to get through the rest of this. About three or four years ago, I just um, really just started to sense God saying, Scott, you need to start praying again for your brother and pray for reconciliation. And I'm like, I don't want to. Just so much hurt and so much pain, and it was so impossible. And so I started to pray and. I wouldn't say were, they were great prayers, and I, I was for sure not consistent and infrequent and half-hearted. Just a lot of hurt. And I just didn't want to hope again. And as I began to pray, God started to melt my heart. And... Um, I just didn't want to fight anymore. Just didn't want to fight. Just tired of fighting. Tired of the arguments, tired of whatever. I just, I'm like, I can't do any more of that. I want my brother back. I don't know how to get him back. And, um, and God just kept saying, Scott, you just look at your heart. And I'm like, I know. But he's like, no, you look at your heart. And he just showed me the areas I needed to work on not the areas my brother needed to work on and not how to rescue him, but just to pray for him. And, and so 2016 rolls around. I'm praying more, and my wife and I are starting to pray way more. 2017, I'm praying, um, I don't know, probably once or twice a week for my brother. I, I mean, it's just amazing. I can't believe I'm doing this again. And and yet there was just something going on, like, you have to pray. And I'm like, ah, all right. You know, that passage in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, you are reconcilers. Christ has reconciled the world to himself, and he's given you the ministry of reconciliation. And, and he just said, Scott, this, this isn't an option. This is you. This is what I've given you. This isn't about church and pastor. This is you, Scott, my son. Okay. And as, the, as it went on, it just, my heart became more and more open. I was just like, all right, Lord, all right, Lord. And what I didn't know was my brother was going through um, several years of the worst time of his life. I had no idea. It was awful. And what God was doing was breaking him from that church. 
And it was the most painful experience for him, the most painful experience. And this past fall, he called up my brother. I don't think he and my older brother, those two guys had talked for over a year. And he called up my brother and he just said, um, I'm getting out. And uh, I know, I know I've, got to, I've got some things I need to own. And uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to be back in the family. When my oldest brother called me and said that uh, Keith, my middle brother, was wanting to figure out how to fix all this, I just wept. He and I were so close. Growing up, we were so close, a year and a half apart. So he called me um, back in February. We hadn't talked in probably five years. And I just, when he called, I just couldn't stop crying. So he flew up here in, in April twice. And, um, God did something amazing. I mean, it's just, my old brother, as soon as he started talking, I knew in February, I knew it was broken. I knew the hold. I knew everything was done. It's just, uh, it was my brother. I just, I knew it. So we had to work through that, but uh, he came up here, and there was nothing about, there was no this. It was just, I'm, Everybody's just like, let's forgive each other and not, I'm sorry, I, I just, all of it. And then he's like, I'm sorry, I don't want to talk about that stuff. I'm just sorry for all that I've done. And I said, we all said, it was just one of those moments where it was just like healing. It was only the Holy Spirit. It was only the Lord. And... Uh, it was, I, it's hard to describe. And he had grown so deeply in the Lord. Grown so deep. I mean, this man loves the Lord. And um, our family's restored. Nothing's too difficult for the Lord. Um, I've been here a while, so I know a lot of stories, a lot of your stories, and I haven't shared that one all the way. 
I know there's a lot of pain in this room. Nothing's too difficult for the Lord. Nothing. I want to invite the team to come up. We're just going to sing some songs. And I think you need to talk to the Lord. I don't care whether you stand or sit. I think what the Lord wants is to talk to each of us and to let this settle in our souls. Nothing is too difficult for him. And I think what God would have us do is to come to him and watch him destroy all the stuff that comes against hope. And it's a dangerous thing for some of you to hope again. And I can't call you to that. It's a dangerous thing to start to, to have belief in something that you just, it's so painful. And you need to seek the Lord on that. I don't know how that journey goes for you. All I know is there's nothing too difficult for the Lord. And at the end of the service, we'll, we'll have some time for prayer. But um, Jake, you can take it.